Welcome, friends, to episode 62 of the Dipshit Files here on the Scatcast Network. I'm Mr. Scriptkeeper. And I'm Mrs. Scriptkeeper. And what the hell have we got in store for them? Well, today is, of course, a true crime uh, episode. And we don't have any death this time. Okay. Which, you know, is kind of refreshing, but uh, it's still... You're still going to drag us through the fucking dark shit, aren't you? Today's episode won't just make your skin crawl. It'll Mm -hmm. literally make you legitimately angry. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, At both the sadistic criminal that... I mean, he terrorized these young girls. Oh, oh, God. And the way the police handled it is just... I mean, wow. Okay. So let's open up a horrible, horrible file about Mm. a big, huge dipshit. Yay. All right. Let's do it. On the morning of April 9th, 2003, a woman named Terry Carncross was carrying out the normal morning activities for her job at a recycling center in the small town of Manlius, New York, which is near Syracuse, when the phone rang at her desk. Now, people often called her office to ask for information, but this call was unique. The voice on the other end of the line, which belonged to a girl named Veronica, told Terry that her sister Ellen had called her from this number just a few minutes earlier and that she'd been missing for months. Hmm. In the very short conversation with her sister, Veronica only managed to learn that she had been kidnapped by an elderly man. Ellen had spoken in a barely audible whisper and Veronica could hear a male voice in the background. She assumed that the kidnapper was likely standing right next to her. Veronica asked her sister to call her back and gave her the number to her cell phone and asked that she write it down. The call was then cut short after the man's voice seemed to get closer. Hmm. Now, according to her caller ID, the call had come from a company called FM Returnables, which was a recycling plant. Veronica waited only a few minutes for a call to her cell phone, and when it didn't ring, she jumped on the phone and called the business back in hopes of reaching her sister. This is when Terry stopped her morning duties and rushed back to her desk and answered the phone. Veronica described her sister as a 16-year-old African-American girl. Terry thought about it and then remembered a young girl had left the store with an elderly man, a regular customer who often brought her glass bottles just a few minutes earlier. Terry recalled how the man had said that they would first go to the pet store and then to the Fayetteville Dodge, which was a car dealership. She wasn't sure if he was talking to her or um, the, his, the, the girl that was with him, but it kind of was like he was talking to the both of them or like he was thinking out loud. Our cat is talking. Mm, yeah, she's chatty today. <laughs> All right, sorry. Well, then Terry turned around and she called the police immediately. That's when Veronica's cell phone rang. It was her sister again. She said she didn't know where she was, but her kidnapper had a yellow car. Veronica ran out of the house and went to Manlius to go save her sister. She is on a mission. The police officers who arrived at the cycling plant decided to go straight to the car dealership. When they arrived on site, they spotted a yellow car parked just outside with a teenage girl and a man in his 60s in it. 
The police approached this suspicious-looking couple, and before they could say anything, the girl rushed to the officers, crying and deeply thankful for their immediate response. Ellen threw herself into the arms of a surprised female officer and, without holding back her tears, told the police the man she had been sitting next to was dangerous. He had kidnapped her, kept her at his home, raped her for six months. He had introduced himself to her as Andrew. But when the police checked his ID, it turned out that his name was John Jamolski. Over the past few years, a serial rapist and kidnapper had been terrorizing this city. And several other girls had already reported similar horrifying experiences. However, the police were unaware of how serious the girls' claims were. I hate the story. John Jamalski was born in May of 1935 in the small town of DeWitt, New York, a wealthy area with an average income of over $60,000 at the time. He was a quiet, shy, and inconspicuous child. The only thing that really set him apart from his peers was the fact that he would wear the same clothes every day to school. Every day. And sometimes his uniform was so dirty that he earned the nickname Germ Jamalski. Sheesh. Right? All right. Uh, he was neither an academically gifted child, nor was he athletic. And after graduating high school in 1955, he followed in his father's footsteps and studied to be a watchmaker before he would go on and join the army. Huh. Now, according to John... During this period of his life, he had been a real, quote, man's man. He had at least 10 girlfriends yeah, yeah. and was the most popular guy on the military base. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll leave it to you to decide whether or not to believe this story. But in 1959, he married a school teacher named Dorothy, and they would go on to have three sons, Paul, Eric, and Brian. All man's men. <laughs> During his marriage, John worked as a baseball coach, he worked as a store clerk, and he also worked as a carpenter. Despite the fact that their family was doing well financially, he was extremely stingy with his money. So much so that he would go to the local library and he asked the librarians to cut coupons out of magazines and hold them for him. Whoa, nice. <laughs> so okay. he had librarians working for him. Nice. He collected all sorts of garbage, like newspapers, tin cans, and glass bottles. He had actually amassed a collection of about 13,000 glass bottles. Why? 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 I, I don't, I don't Why? know. He'd drive around the city every night looking for new items for his collection. Now, he wasn't forced to collect these due to poverty. This was something he really just seemed to enjoy. It was, like it was baseball cards. Yeah, it was like his, it was collection, you know. <laughs> He's like, that's a ball jar. That's that's really good there. Right. That's well, a high quality jar. It was a hobby of sorts. I mean, he certainly had enough money already. His parents had left him a very good fortune uh, and left him a house into which he moved with his family. He, they left him stocks and bonds a collection of watches, several of which were um, worth about $40,000 each. So the guy wasn't hurting for money. Now, John wasn't ignorant to economics, uh, nor was he fiscally irresponsible. And having sold his watch collection, he took the money he gained, uh, earned, and invested in real estate in California. Now, according to some estimates, Jamalski was actually a millionaire. Uh, He told his sons about his childhood as they were growing up um, and his adolescence and stuff. But 
He often embellished the details heavily. For example, he told his sons that he was extremely popular in school and he played all of the sports. All the sports. He at the had same time. many girlfriends. However, all the girlfriends at the he, same time. He never did share his nickname with his sons, Germ Jamalski. Jeremy Germs. Yeah, they never heard that. So um, then in the early 80s, he was actually arrested um, for breaking and entering. Okay, so. If this doesn't send up red flags, listen mm. to this. It was an all-around weird situation. Mm. So he was driving around the neighborhood, as usual, looking for recyclables and, and papers and all that. And he noticed that the lights were off in one of the houses. I mean, it caught his attention. It was dark. So he pulled up to the house randomly, got out of his car, and went to the mailbox where, at that time, they used to put the occupant's name on the mailbox they actually had like the last name of the person right now memorizing the name on the mailbox he went to the supermarket and looked them up in the telephone book mm -hmm. uh he then turned around with their phone number which was listed right there in the telephone book and he dialed the number and when no one answered he decided to leave his car in the parking lot of the grocery store and walk back to the house he crept around the perimeter of this house until he found an open, unlocked window. Oh and as he was about to climb into the window, the owner, who was actually home at the time, was alerted to the strange scraping sounds coming from the back of the house. When they went to investigate, they found John attempting to climb through the window. And, the, of course, they called the police. The police arrived and arrested him, but his motive for climbing through the window was never clear. He just kind of beat around the bush about why and he ended up blaming them for leaving their window unlocked nice. <laughs> but the one that came in it was right open. it was just they should lock their window yeah. but the one thing that sticks out is his level of preparation uh for this this was very interesting and this will become more clear as we get deeper into our story now another interesting fact is that in 1984 john found himself a girlfriend mm. so all the girlfriends well, he yeah, he was married, though. Oh, fuck. That's right. Uh, so he does have all the girlfriends. Uh, well, mm -hmm. so the thing was, did his wife agree to this agreement, arrangement? I don't. Abso-fucking-lutely not. She uh, did not. But none of that mattered to John. He invited a 16-year-old girl named Debbie, e. yikes, to move into his house. His wife, of course, continually protested, uh, at least at first. And one of his sons... Oh no, we won't go. Hell, right. Sorry. No way. So, and, and one of his sons, likely the youngest, um, because the rest, they'd already moved out of the house. They were already mincemen and they approved. <laughs> he actually uh, beat the shit out of his dad and gave him a black, black eye for one having a relationship outside of his marriage, okay. uh, two, breaking his mom's heart, and three, doing it all with a girl his fucking age. I feel like that guy's the man's man, to be honest. Yuck. Not a dude. Yuck. Not, well, not the dad. The, the right, kid. right, like, the kid. Right. I know. Well, he, you know, he beat his dad up. Yeah. Well, um, sometimes it has to be. <laughs> well, John. If you have the means. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> John, uh, he never hid the fact that he was having an affair with an underage girl. Everyone in his family thought it was crazy and completely off-putting. Yeah. God. Okay, so that was a weird thing. As I'm going through these articles and looking for, looking at stuff, the 80s were awful. Yeah. yeah. People were like, it's off-putting. She's 16 and he's, what, 40-something. Yeah. It's off-putting. What was that movie? It's like fucking Blue Lagoon or some illegal. Shit, where you're like, 
isn't that kid like 12 yeah yeah and everybody was like oh yeah but it's it's for yeah, art but it's, it's like but she's she's 12 she's nine Brooke shields is 14 <laughs> years old right now and there's there's nips here going on. i know Does anybody Why else feel like if not? somebody should go to jail right yeah okay so cocaine folks cocaine <sighs> 1980s will Jesus. never come around again i hope well, at the at the end of the day, John's family would do their best to pretend nothing was going on. You know, that's the best they could do is like, yeah, don't watch this man. Uh, Just look over here. Awful look things with a child. There. Yeah. Wow. His, his kid was right. Well, they, it seems they found it easier just to ignore many things. Um, Debbie would eventually pack up and leave John uh, and his household. Um, but in 1988, John's wife, Dorothy, she developed cancer and would eventually become bedridden, where she would spend the next 11 years of her life. Oh, John stated that this is when he began to plan for kidnapping. It was all because uh, his poor, cancer-riddled, bedridden wife could no longer put out. Yikes. Seriously. Wow. Uh, John stated that he just had to adapt. He went out. Never heard of jerking off, huh? Well, Sorry. he had to adapt, and yeah. so he adapted towards kidnapping. Huh. So he went out That's and bought a, himself an entirely new wardrobe, changed his hairstyle. It's to, my kidnapping shoes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he changed his life. Uh, he knew he was going to have to go out and find someone new, so he changed his wardrobe. He changed his hairstyle uh, to something longer and a little more trendy. Mm. Changed the way he spoke to include more slang. Hello there, young people. Uh, Radical. John did everything he could to make himself appear younger. He was determined to find himself a child lover again, Jeez. but this time in such a way that no one would know about it. Oh, wow. Okay. Hooray. In, he, didn't, he didn't like all that scrutiny. He's like, I can't have sex with kids. Come on. He's like, stop judging me. <laughs> I don't like the judgment. You're judging me. In September 1988, as 53-year-old John was driving around looking for bottles, he saw a teenage girl. He rolled down the window and struck up a conversation. Depeche Mode was playing in his car, and he looked and spoke like he was younger. So when he offered to give her a ride, she agreed. Her name was Amy, and she was a 14-year-old indigenous girl. When she got into his car, he sped off to his mother's house, his mother's house, okay. and locked her in a small shed that housed uh, pumping equipment, like the water pump. There was no light. There was no heat. He took several Viagras. Oh, goddamn. I know, undressed Amy and raped her. And he did this every day for six months. <laughs> six months, this 14-year-old girl. It's impossible yeah. to imagine what she That's went through. some of the worst shit I've ever heard. Thank but, you for sharing. But it's <laughs> it's only the beginning. Oh, uh, oh, good. Yeah, hooray. In those six months, John up, guys. and his son built a doomsday bunker on, on on his property in their yard, which he claimed would just be a food cellar. Mm. However, in reality, John had no fear of Judgment Day. His only interest in canned food was the it was the cans. No. This structure was in fact an underground torture chamber. Uh. Two rooms, about thirty square feet each, uh, at a height of six feet. The entrance was through an iron door in the basement that led to a narrow crawl space to another door, which finally led to the so-called cellar. The first room was smaller and served as a bathroom. It had a bucket with a seat sitting on top of it. It served as a toilet and a bathtub, uh, but it was not connected to the sewer. 
this it was just like this clawfoot standing tub hmm. the second room was a uh well i guess it was a bedroom hmm. a piece of foam rubber was placed on the floor there were no windows the walls were concrete and buried under six feet of dirt no sound would escape this bunker it was very joseph fritzley Yep. John took Amy from his mother's shed and brought her to the bunker, and he shackled, shackled her ankle to the wall. Um, now, this wasn't... Uh, the shackles that we talk about in this weren't actually a shackle. It wasn't a metal collar that went around her ankle. Uh-huh. It was a chain, which is worse. <laughs> oh, boy. He literally would just wrap the chain tightly around their oh. ankles or their leg oh. and tie them to the wall. Her family, of course, was looking for her, but the police declared her runaway, and they left it at that. They just told her parents, sorry, she ran away. We're not going to look. Okay. First time the police uh, are infuriating. The cellar had no windows, and poor Amy was left in complete darkness 23 hours a day so that John could control her mental state. She couldn't tell, uh, She could never tell day from night, and eventually... Uh, she lost track of reality. John would return every day, of course, after taking Viagra and assaulted Amy. He'd bring leftovers and a bottle of water to her every other day. He also provided her with alcohol and forced her to drink that every day. Okay. She was allowed to bathe only once every two weeks. Oh, my God. And only with water from a garden hose that he left in the dungeon. He then poured the water from the bathtub, basically, because she was able to hose herself off in the bathtub. He only turned it on once every two weeks. She could hose herself off in the bathtub, but he would come in with a bucket and he'd empty out the bathtub and he'd pour it directly onto the concrete floor. There was no drain, though. Uh, Over time, the room, which was practically airtight, was filled with moisture and soon mold began to grow on the walls. John told Amy that his name was Luther and that he was in a sex cult along with many powerful politicians and celebrities, including police officers. Um, And they were the ones that employed John for the use of his captives for sex. Now, according to him, there were other girls in the house, some of whom were upstairs. According to John, his boss would decide when she was ready to face him. And that would depend on how well she behaved herself. The less she resisted, the sooner she would meet this guy, right? When Amy realized how deeply John was connected to the elite in their community, she completely submitted to him and hoped that he would eventually, he eventually wouldn't kill her. Mm -hmm. She just wanted to save her own life. Strangely, John demanded that she keep a diary and write down every moment of her life when she brushed her teeth. Uh, when she took a bath and every single time he assaulted her he wanted all the details written in her own writing really weird that is very weird days passed which merged into weeks and then months sometimes he would bring her small gifts almost as if like he thought they were in a relationship he gave her candy and flowers and he'd bring her like you know special snack things After several months, John felt as if they were getting along well. So he decided to keep her longer, imagining soon that they would have a serious relationship and Amy would fall in love and take care of him for the rest of his days. Mm. Yep. Mm -hmm. During this time in captivity, Amy slept for 20 hours a day, not knowing whether it was day or night. 
Uh, she suffered from constant anxiety and fear for her life. She spent days in a drunken stupor on the foam pad because he kept her drunk the best that he could. At one point, John brought a Bible to his dungeon That's... and forced Amy to read to him day after day, after which he would tell her to undress and not resist. Later, John would go on to tell the police that because she was so well-behaved, he allowed her to watch TV after a few months in captivity. For the first time since her kidnapping, she was able to gain her bearings of sorts. Because when he turned on the local TV channel, she realized she was in Syracuse, in the same area. Um, but she held no hope for rescue. After all, John had told her the police were in on her disappearance, and she thought that she would forever remain in her prison, a sex slave of Luther. This mm. poor thing. Yeah, terrible. Now, about a year after her disappearance, the family stopped looking for her. Now, this is uh, when I when I came across this, I was flabbergasted. I would never stop looking for my child yeah. ever. Yeah, I don't care. Uh, but John made her write them a letter saying that she was safe, that she was doing well, and she would decide for herself when she would return home. I don't fucking care. My kid's missing. I am. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a fourteen. Is that yeah, what it was? fourteen. Jeez. Yeah, maybe she may have been fifteen at this point yeah, by the time I'd... they got the letter. There's no way in hell. Yeah, no parents can be no like, way oh, in she's hell. just seeing the world at fourteen. No, nope. she's gonna go to Ireland. No, nope. I Australia. I would become a one woman wrecking ball. Yeah, <laughs> kicking doors down. <laughs> oh shit, state to state. I, they, they'd, they'd have to arrest me. Yeah. They'd be like, "Would you find this woman's child, please?" <laughs> <laughs> We're retaining her on assault charges now against a police officer. <laughs> would you please find her kid? <laughs> <laughs> She's very interested in finding the kid. Oh, so in October 1990, two years after her abduction, Amy called home and talked to her mom. She said that she would be home soon and to not worry, adding that she, would, she couldn't say where she was living, but she'd explain everything when she got home. So when I read about this, my heart broke for Amy. I mean, after what John had told her about his connections and how they were involved, Amy likely felt hopeless about all of it. Yeah. In addition to his story about the cult he, that he belonged to, he also showed her pictures of her own house and her younger brother that he had taken on one of those random driving trips that he takes. What a sadistic fuck. Right? He used these photos to reinforce the idea that he had connections, and if she tried to escape, he would attack her and her family. He threatened to kill her brother. Hmm. So to make this whole thing creepier, he had taken those pictures when he entered the house, pretending to be a real estate agent who was sent by the landlord. The girl's mother let him in, wow. not knowing what he was doing to her daughter what every fucking day. That guy's just fucking with these people, so fucking with the world. It's not clear why she didn't call her landlord to ask who this strange guy was. I'm not sure if that even entered her mind, but I couldn't find anything. She was always just, I guess she just kept it to herself. Hmm. But yeah, so the guy drove around, John would drive around and take pictures of them outside and then got indoor pictures to scare the shit out of poor Amy. Hmm. So after two years in captivity, John announced he was taking her to California. Yeah, it's like, he's... hey girl, hey lady, we're going to California. <laughs> he blindfolded her, escorted her to his car, and get this, he had his son drive them to the airport. His son. What? Okay, so his son would state later that he had no idea 
idea what was going on. How? I, how? But how? Right. I'm not sure how that but, could be. I mean, given his father's history who's with this lady, un- dad, shut up. Underage girls and all, right? John told him the girl's family had asked him to keep an eye on her because she had weight problems and they wanted her to lose a few pounds before she returned home. That was his excuse. Huh. And his son fell for it, I guess. I don't know. Kirk me, Hammett, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, he knew about his father's creepy obsession for teenagers. Yeah. He had built a whole fucking bunker with him. And now he was with his father in a car with a girl wearing a blindfold. And they're headed to the airport. And he never said a word. What? I know. It's just... Uh, infu- this whole story is kind of infuriating. Yeah, I mean, okay. <laughs> okay, this is a quote, a direct quote from an interview with this guy. Quote, my father was always a little strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In a police interview. Yeah. My father was always a little strange. A little strange. A little strange. That... You should see no, what, what a he little, thinks a, a little, lot of strange is. A little strange is unmatched socks. <laughs> You know, or maybe maybe the pro- proclivity of, of liking a cologne that smells like dead fish. That's yeah, a little strange. That is a little strange. Not blindfolded girls, bunkers. No. Uh, no. Uh, no. Uh, anyway. Okay, moving on. Okay. Moving on. John and Amy flew to Lake Tahoe. They went to a casino. They ate out in restaurants. They went sightseeing. And about a week later, John decided it was time to go home. Um, or more precisely, it was time to send Amy home. He bought a ticket to New York, and he dropped her off at the airport. Okay, this poor thing. She doesn't know what's going on. It's been two fucking years. He drops her off at the airport, gives her a plane ticket, and says, go home. She is afraid this whole trip that she's being followed, that she's being watched, um, afraid that somebody's going to kill her. So she then gets on the plane. She did, as she was told. She flew back to Syracuse. It wasn't a trick like she thought. Uh, he didn't follow her or kidnap her again. He just let her go. What? When I first read... Home. He did. He let her go home. Wow. So when I first read about this case, I thought they might have caught him after that, this right? This is the most weird fucking... Okay. Oh, just wait. <laughs> so by now, Amy's 16 years old. Uh, she didn't tell anybody about what had happened to her. She continued to pretend that she just ran away. That poor thing. And she lived with friends for almost two years. That poor thing. Now, her parents, they never believed her. But uh, they were just happy to see her. Sure. And they were happy that she was safe. Living in a state of constant fear, Amy carried this terrible secret with her for another 13 years before oh, she actually no. spoke about it. So... Okay, what about John? Why, why wouldn't people believe her? It's like, go look in the basement. Oh, she didn't know where it was, though. Mm-mm. She didn't know who this guy was, Mm-mm. really. Yeah, okay. Right. No, no, not at and all. She this was is, afraid that the police were in on it. This is allegedly stuff. his first victim. Now, I say allegedly. We'll get to that. Okay. Okay, so what about John, right? Well, John stopped doing anything illegal for a bit. Um, essentially, he lied low. His mother had passed away shortly after Amy's release. She was found at her home without heat or food. Hmm. Literally, no heat, no food. Hmm. The coroner stated that she died of natural causes, but why was there no heat or food? I mean, how could how could John, as her son, allow her to reach such a state in her own house? Right. So I began to, I actually began to wonder, there's no proof of this, but I did begin to wonder, um, if she could have been another victim of John's. Hmm. Maybe she found out what he did to Amy because he took Amy to her shed. That's right. 
And how would she, she not know? Initial crime scene, really, huh? Yes, Amy stayed in that shed until the bunker was done. You can't build a bunker overnight. Oh God, she's just in her garden, fucking watering some daisies, hearing a screaming like, girl, yeah. right? And then like, I, oh, I'm gonna get my other little watery thing. She goes right. in there and it's like, uh, I'm gonna just close. I don't. Right, know. I don't know. I don't know how she. My didn't son know. is a strange guy. I don't know why. Yeah, he's a little, he's always been a little strange. Weird. Jeez. Anyway, in May of 95, John was driving around the neighborhood and noticed 14-year-old Barbara walking near a park. Just like Amy, Barbara had a darker complexion and black hair. It seems John's developing a pattern here. Mm -hmm. He told Barbara that she could earn a little extra money by delivering a package for him. It wouldn't take any more than an hour at most. But she would just have to go down to the and get the package from the basement of his house. Uh, and she fell for it. Upon entering the basement... That's like a Saw movie. I know. This is real shit, though. Mm-hmm. So upon entering the basement, John tackled her, restrained her arms, and shackled her leg to the wall. The iron door was slammed shut, and she found herself in a pitch black room deafeningly silent and it scared the shit out of her she began to scream tearing at the chain in a vain attempt to remove it convinced that matthew as he had called himself was going to kill her but down in the dungeon no one could hear her remember there's six feet of dirt above her and she's behind these concrete walls you can imagine she tried and tried that is Mm -hmm. this is heartbreaking stuff all the screaming just pissed john off and he, he, right, he went down there and he forced her to take three prescription sedatives. Oh, fuck. And soon she just passed out. Um, when she woke up, she found herself completely naked. John had taken some Polaroid photos, which he said he was sending to his boss. Then they would be sent abroad to find a buyer for her. I am curious if this guy actually mm-hmm. is connected to any weird shit. Uh, the fact that he fucks around with that kind of thing. I know. Uh, well, strange. I wondered the whole time. We'll get to that. I know. A few days later, John brought her a sweatshirt and removed the chain from her leg. He told her the rules. The rules were she would have to sexually satisfy him every day, and she had to drink a gallon of water every day, which is weird. Yeah. Um, then he took some blood from her to test for diseases. Okay. Okay. Weird. So days would turn into weeks again. And at some point, John brought her blankets, finally, and some hygiene products. Now, when she first arrived, all he gave her to eat was fast food. But over the next few weeks, he began to bring healthier food. Uh, He later brought a radio to the bunker so she could listen to music. One day, he showed her recently taken photos of, guess what? Family. Yep, her mother, her brother, her sister, saying his bosses would kill her family if she told anyone what had happened to her. We are the most fucked up, <clears throat> stupid-ass fucking creatures. <clears throat> Can you imagine any other creature on Earth even no. approaching something like no. that? No! damn, dude. Convinced that she would be killed or sold into slavery, Barbara just fell into severe depression, and she started having suicidal thoughts. I would imagine. Right? Right? No, it may have been this dejected and listless state that convinced him to let her go. Um, she literally just gave up and she laid on the bed. That's what she did. She didn't even care anymore. So one day, John told her that his superiors had given him permission to release her. She got dressed and they just simply walked out to his car. That's He walked her out to his car. What he the told, fuck? He told her to lie on the floor in the front seat so she wouldn't be seen so she couldn't see where they were going 
And less than an hour later, the car stopped. John opened the door and said, get out. In this day and age, like today, mm-hmm. those to happen, somebody could, just from her saying, I saw a tree that looked like this. I and know. there was a little farmhouse. They'll it, find it. Exactly. Fucking. So he, he opens the door, tells her to get out. Barbara jumped out of the car and she was just flabbergasted. She was standing right in front of her mom's house. Oh, my goodness. He dropped her off right out front of her house. Her 13 months of terror were over, but John hadn't released her without the threat that he'd kill her and her family if she said anything. So, of course, the moment she arrives home, guess what? She told her fucking mom everything. (laughs) Her mother tried to convince her to go to the police, but Barbara refused. Hmm. Barbara's mom didn't give up on the idea of getting her to go to the police station, um, which uh, at this moment, I would have hauled her ass in the car and taken her myself. Can you imagine that conversation? Uh. What a fucking... Humans shouldn't have to experience no, like that. but so she didn't give up on this idea until she began to notice the same car showing up on their street, mm. sometimes parked, sometimes rolling by very slowly. The driver, a man, she said, was between fifty or sixty years old, could be seen looking into the windows of their house. God, do you want to just go out with a bat and your yeah. friends and just have a pinata party? Right. Well, oh, look, it's a lung. Realizing they were being watched, she stopped telling her daughter to go to the police. Uh, and Barbara kept this awful secret of the dungeon also. Huh. John yeah. found his next victim, August of 1997. 53-year-old Celeste was a refugee from Vietnam, and she barely spoke English. John actually attacked her on the street and took her to his mother-in-law's house, mother-in-law's house. Another. Yep, mother-in-law, where he raped her and then took her to his bunker dungeon. I don't know what to call it at this point. Bunker (laughs) basement dungeon. Do you remember the movie Along Came a Spider with uh, Morgan Freeman? You know, I don't think I ever saw that movie. I wanted to, but I don't think I ever saw it. It's got to be based on this or it's in the same ballpark. Or really? Something. Yeah, because it's it reminds me of it a lot. I mean, oh. I, don't, I don't really remember that movie that well. I just remember that it was basic, you know. Basically what we're talking about. Exactly. Oh, God. They yeah. made a movie about it? Yeah, I, I feel like it was a sequel or a connected thing to Seven or a movie like that. Mm. Uh, one of the movies in that era. When Morgan Friedman was killing it with those movies. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm about? sure I saw it. I just, because I, I saw The Bone Collector and, yeah, and all yeah. of them, but I don't remember it. That's so. the thing. I don't, I remember it was good and I remember mm-hmm. going, oh, just like this. Yeah. Where it's like, I, that concept escaped my thinking about because I never right. imagined. Right. But, uh, yeah, weird. Well, so he's, so he's kidnapped Celeste, right? She's 53. She barely speaks any English and he's got her in the bunker dungeon. Mm-hmm. John would say later that he actually believed he was helping these women by locking them up. Wow. He said... That's how you sleep, I guess. Well, he said he was helping them because they weren't exposed to danger. Oh, man. (laughs) And temptations like drugs and alcohol, which is ridiculous. Because he's giving them alcohol. Because he is... And forcing drugs drugs. into them. I know. This is... Uh, I know. This it's, is what we're capable of as humans just, when we get really I mean, deluded. The pretzeling that's going on in this guy's logic. So you have to wonder what's going on. What what a person would a doctor of the mind, I know, whichever it would be, would say. What what does this guy have? What right. kind of you know what mental is his breakdown problem? does he have? Yeah, right. Okay, so he said she would sing to me. He later said of Celeste, 
She had almost she had the most beautiful a cappella voice with no accompaniment or whatever. It was absolutely beautiful. But you didn't deserve it all. Well, he said that if he had not kidnapped her, then Celeste would quote definitely have gone on a date with me. End quote. What? Why? why? I don't know. You, you were right at the very beginning. You said this is going to piss you off. Yeah. I, I thought. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've been through a lot of these. This is episode sixty-two. <sighs> I I'm. Pretty okay. pissed off. I'm, well, let's let's keep going. I don't going. understand what the fuck. How hold this your, is any of this is reality. Your, hold your outrage for a moment, because uh, buckle no, up, Buttercup. No, fucking what? So he brought no. a TV into the basement for her, and Celeste decided to play along uh, with John or Steve, as he introduced himself. Now oh, he's Steve. Come on. Right. He, he said his name was Steve. For Celeste, all the Steves out there, fuck. We don't we don't accept it. We don't accept it. <laughs> Celeste would later say in a police interview, I cried and prayed every day of my captivity. I did everything he asked, hoping he would let me go. Wife, you are killing all of us. You're I'm sorry. It's, uh, so John, okay, get this. John put a skeleton, like one of those mannequin skeletons, by her makeshift bed just what? to scare her. What? When the lights were turned on. Uh, he made her do useless things like punching holes in bottle caps and sorting nails. That was her job. What? Nine months later, in May of 1998, he told her that he would release her. He blindfolded her. And let's not forget, by the way, this whole time, the, the main underlying theme here of what he's doing to these women every day. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he told her he'd release her in May of 98. He blindfolded her blindfolded her and they drove away in his car they literally walked her out and put her in his car that's amazing and then he took her to the bus stop let her out on erie boulevard in syracuse um celeste unlike the previous girls went straight to the police she yeah. literally went straight she didn't even she went straight to the police department from that bus and she barely speaks english right she hardly spoke any english oh so my. it was difficult to yeah, explain so what happened to her hmm. And she probably didn't hear all of his threats in the same way that the other girls did. Too. Right. So she's like, I don't, as soon as I get out of here, I'm mm -hmm. getting the fuck to the police. Right. Well, the only thing that the detectives could understand was that Celeste was being held against her will in someone's house. Even though she was able to describe her abductor, uh, she said he was a white male, 45 years old, which she was off on the age, but she said he had a large build. She later said that she could tell that the police were skeptical from the very beginning. Quote, they screamed at me and said they didn't believe me. They pounded the table with their fists and said I was making up a story. They told me I was a liar. End quote. That doesn't make any sense. That sounds like something out of a Batman movie. Right. Like, right. I want to think, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners. I'm sure that I'm wrong. I'm usually wrong when I speak, but... They don't do that anymore, do they? Please, God, I would fuck. hope not. I don't think so. I mean, there should be... I don't think so. It's been what? This is 97. It's been... It wasn't that long I ago. I feel like... I mean... Every <laughs> it really wasn't that long ago. You guys know we have a police officer that here works here at SCATCAST. And, yeah. And I've been in this station many times. Mm -hmm. Couldn't be more professional. Right. Like, they I've been would, to multiple police stations they here would in never, California, too. never have done this. It blows my mind it. that in the 90s, when I'm running around in high school, fucking, right. th that that kind of thing would exist. I know. Uh, we, we think we're doing better than we are, I think. I think we might be beings. doing. I think we might be doing better. We're doing good. Yeah. But I mean, that was. We're doing better than '97. When I was in '97, I'm like, department. we're doing great. That's what I thought, and now I'm looking back, we weren't doing great. 
I'm, okay, so one. They, I'm not even talking to the microphone. I'm I know, over in the corner I know, fucking just yelling. Fucking ranting. The, the house plant scared of me. One detective allegedly told her, "This is these are her words, and I don't know why we wouldn't believe her." Just gonna, he allegedly told her that abduction victims usually end up dead, and he asked, "Why are you still alive?" What the f- right? That gave me a goosebump up right? my fucking anger zone. No words. You to a victim. No words. Okay, so Dorothy, John's well, wife. I hope that guy got coal in his stocking from Santa that year. Cause we're we're going to hear more about this guy. Fucking, I don't mean the guy. I mean the cop. Right. No, I know. We're oh, going to hear oh, more about him. Oh, he's we're, an excellent cop. We're, we're hearing he's more about him. Yeah, he's consistent. Right. Dorothy, John's wife. She died in 1999. Now, John said it was very difficult for him, and he suffered terribly. I feel terrible for him. But it was at this time that he delved even deeper into what he called his hobby, right? Like a train set? His house was a mess. Um, But in some corners, there were some bits of clarity. There was a kind of strange order of sorts. So he kept, and they found this stuff uh, after he was caught and they went through the house and stuff. He kept all correspondence sorted by date. He kept magazines in alphabetical order also sorted by date. Glass bottles stood alone in their own special place. Um, he had like a whole section of his house. They were all organized by color and height. Like a little museum. Right. In the crazy guy's mm-hmm. fucking house. So his yard, on the other hand, was so neglected that the neighbors began to complain to the authorities. That is like along came a spider. I think he was a collector. Like he was collecting. Women. Oh, was he? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's that's the theme here. And he even alluded to it. Uh, in interviews that he wanted one of each come on right okay so i think maybe if that if the long came a spider was a collector that may have been what this movie or that they may have based the movie on this case i think that is because that is what right yeah wow okay so all right back to the yard the yard the neighbors are complaining right uh this is an upscale neighborhood that he's living in all this, <laughs> this makes sense. John's answer to this uh, complaint was an eight foot fence around his house. He just installed a big fence so they didn't have to look at it. Hmm. Now, what happened behind that fence would remain hidden for many, many years. On May 11th, 2001, moving on, he captured Denise, a 26 year old white mother of two, not missing out on the chance to add a white woman to his collection, he said. He grabbed her while she was on her way to meet a friend on the same street where he had attacked his first victim, Amy. Her resistance and the bad weather made it difficult, but somehow he managed to get her in the car. Now, this time he had to physically restrain this woman. Her ethnicity wasn't the only reason John chose her, though. Quote, as I drove by, he later told reporters, I just saw her and she was my wife. When my wife was 26, and then I found out she was 26 at the time. It was ironical. End quote. Don't use an Angus term when you can. Ironical. I'll punch a motherfucker guy like. (sighs) So once in the dungeon, Denise was not about to succumb to his imprisonment. She came up with a plan to attack John, but she also had no idea what was waiting for her on the other side of that metal door. 
and she couldn't e- open it even if she did know what was on the other side. There's no room for comedy in this one whatsoever, but I know she's about to summon Karen powers. <laughs> and, that's, and God bless it. There's only a few times Ugh. when those powers are useful. Well, John had thought of everything after entering the cellar. He locked the door behind him with a combination lock. So it would be impossible to get out without knowing the code and killing him would be pointless because she would certainly die then. Hmm. Right. While her concrete cage, while, while there, she began to study the graffiti on the walls in that short, tiny window where he would turn the lights on for her. Um, she began looking at the walls, hmm. finding several women's names and realizing it had been done by other girls. How fucking terrifying right? would that be? So from time to time, she heard muffled screams and cries and couldn't figure out where they were coming from. Now, what she didn't know were that the screams were likely not real. I say likely because there is a chance that they were. Um, But the police never found another dungeon. So she would have had to have been in the room with the girls. So what they had had assumed uh, was that John was blasting recordings, which they did find in video form. Recordings of the previous girls screaming for help um, and also from movies. He had pulled some audio from movies and he used these to scare these women. Can you imagine being his parents? Oh, like, God. And being like, yeah, he's a little strange. Uh, he likes a to ter- little strange. He likes to terrorize uh, the other kids. Good Lord. Terrifying things. Well, uh, we're so proud of him. He's he, doing good. <laughs> John told uh, Denise that he was working for powerful people who would never go to jail, even if she was rescued. He even showed her a police badge and told her that there was no one to help her. Hmm. Denise, in desperation, began beating the walls with her hands, and she beat them until they bled. Hmm. However, her resistance would actually pay off. John had grown exhausted of her constant tirade. Karen, Karen. Yes. Never resting. She is, it's almost as if she never slept. All she did was scream and beat the walls. Fuck yeah. And he released her after less than two months. Nice. Right. On July, one July night, he went into the bunker and told her that she could go home. He made her put on a hoodie backward uh, and lifted the hood over her face so she couldn't see anything. Now, she assumed he was taking her out to kill her. Um, that was this. This was her walk at the at the very end of her life. But well, he, he's been terrorizing her for right. some months, so I wouldn't imagine she'd want to trust him. I would be. I would similar have trust mindset. issues too. Yeah. But he didn't. After fidgeting, uh, she had basically tied her hands. And after fidgeting, trying to get out of her restraints for twenty minutes in the car, John would untie her hands and told her to get out. She found herself in front of her mother's house in Bridgeport. Denise and her family reported the kidnapping and rape to the Onondaga, Onondaga County Sheriff's Office, and Detective Jack Schmidt was put in charge of the case. Now, Jack was only 27 years old, but he carried himself like he'd already seen it all. Former baseball player, hurt his knee, would have gone <laughs> Well, but when he took Denise's testimony, he was blown away. Two months of daily violence, a concrete dungeon, little food and water. He just couldn't believe it. What? Denise, however, described her captor in extreme detail. White male, 
45 to 50 years old, with gray hair and a birthmark on his forehead. She also remembered that he drove a Mercury Comet, saying it was a 1974 model. But the car she described was not found in the database, which, according to the police, discredited her entire story. The thing is, they didn't think to expand their search to a model uh, of a model, maybe another year, like 1975, 1976. Mm-hmm. They only look for 1974 because that's what she said. Well, you didn't nail it. So. They didn't expand their search. It's ridiculous. That means that the bruises on your face are probably from, right. uh, you know, squirrels. Well, I mean, it's not always easy to tell the exact year of a vehicle unless you have a background in cars, which Denise did not. My dad did that. My dad is the guy that could do that mm-hmm. better than anybody. Mm-hmm. And he studied that shit every day. Car and Driver magazine. Yeah. Fuck, that's why. He would he would count. Sh- I, I know this is digressing big <laughs> mm-hmm. time, but we'd drive by cars passing and I'd be like, what's that one? And he'd mm-hmm. say. He would and, just tell you. Yeah, if I wish I had the internet so I could fact check him because I have no idea. Both of my mm. parents shovel cocked the we, fuck out of me. But We do that with plants. Yeah. You do that with me with but plants. I, I can't fucking check you. Oh. Well, I guess I can now with the phone. You can. Yeah. Real super simple. I don't want you can it. Actually I'm lazy. Google, you can Google image that shit I now. can't spell any of those things. It makes <laughs> it very frustrating for me. All right. Okay. So she didn't have a background in cars, right? Mm -hmm. Additionally, the police department had no idea. This police department had no idea about Celeste's case because she'd gone to the police in another county. And this was prior to counties sharing case information and prior to the internet. And the rest of the girls hadn't reported their cases at all. Were the 90s and early aughts the fucking Stone Age? Is that what it... Okay, sorry. I don't know. I don't know. I know. I'm sorry. I'm random Denise. this episode. Well, Denise also described the house John had taken to her, taken her to uh, that night in May and described the concrete dungeon in detail, including the tub, the garden hose, the toilet, the makeshift bed, and all of the graffiti. She stated that the words, quote, wall of thugs was written on one of the walls. What the... But... Nothing convinced the investigator. According to some reports, the police didn't believe her because she had written a letter to her relatives in which she said she was in treatment for addiction. Nobody suspected that John had forced her to fucking write it. Like he had the other girls. He was a few, He's like, these people are not going to believe you. That's yeah. why I picked you. Or I don't know what the hell. I, I don't know. So because of the police skepticism, in October of 2002, John was able to kidnap his last victim, Ellen. His alleged, well, we know this is his last victim. Right, but the fifth one? Of the fifth one, yeah. Yeah. Now, he did it the same way, driving up to her in his car. He told her that his name was Andrew and that she could make a lot of money if she modeled for a nude photo shoot. Okay, so at first she refused, but he went on to explain that he was in the business of selling photographs of naked women to people overseas. You ladies are just swimming through shark fucking waters all the time. Lord. Well, it wouldn't be long uh, of him uh, encouraging her and Ellen would end up in the bunker. In the first week, she was eating crackers and drinking Kool-Aid. John would often burst into the room uh, unannounced and then leave without any explanation at all hours. So she couldn't even assume to know what would happen next. Well, that's torture. Yep. He told her that his job required him to report to his boss about his sex life. So she'd have to keep a diary and they would discuss each act of violence. 
her behavior and whether John and his boss were pleased with her. I hate that so much. Right? I hate that so much. Well, the only way, quote, the only way to get out was to be, to behave yourself, end quote. I hate this so much, wife. I know. God damn it. John photographed her naked and showed her pictures of the other girls. Now, here's where things begin to shift a bit, though. After a few months in captivity, he actually began to feel a real emotional attachment to her. Uh, he kind of started trusting her, letting her out of the bunker and into the house. He even allowed her outside under his supervision. Good job, girl. Over the months, she managed to convince him that she was an ally and they would even go into business together. Smart. He Smart. trusted her so much that one evening in March of 2003, he took her to Freddy's Bar and Grill, owned by a local, who knew John actually pretty well. He often saw him digging around the garbage cans for recyclables, but now he's at the bar with a young girl, and when the music started, Ellen asked to sing karaoke. Okay, so I got a question. Okay. Uh, it's spelled, if you pronounce it the way it's spelled, it's spelled karaoke. Right. Or karaoke. How do you pronounce that fucking word? Karaoke. Kari? Karaoke. Karaoke. Yes. But there's it, no I in the middle. It's an A. I know. So the A makes an I sound when? Whenever in the history of ever <laughs> does the A make the I sound? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I had a music magazine for my local community for a decade and I hated that fucking word. I yeah. mean, I remember I remembered it because I hated it because right. I think I published it at one point wrong. And somebody, of course, people cannot help themselves when they see a wrong oh, yeah. word published. And I, <laughs> I've got experience. <clears throat> right. So fuck that word. So you're right. Karaoke. Karaoke. And so anyways. But we need, we need I'm spice in life. We need fucking variety. I love it. The Bring English it. language karaoke. is fucking confusing. More karaoke. Oh, love it. Okay, so John resisted to this idea of karaoke at first um, before finally agreeing. And she took to the stage with him standing next to her and she sang in front of the entire audience. Now, the crowd became kind of uncomfortable at the interaction between this middle-aged elderly man <laughs> and this teenager. I bet. It was clear that something was very off. But since Ellen didn't ask for help, they awkwardly ignored it. I've... Isn't I mean, come on. I don't know. Yeah. Come on. People, people. don't like to make a scene. This is they 2003. Don't like to... I know. Fucking I don't uh, Come on. I know. What okay. Would... I mean, imagine yourself, in the list, dear listeners, imagine yourself in this situation. I know you want to think, do the right thing. And I bet I know some of these listeners would have, too, probably. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You would have been all but over that shit. But if there is a child and a 50-year-old man, oh, People I'm are, at least mean-mugging the you, man. And you mean, like, touchy-feely, yeah, well, I, all that that's creepy what, shit? Yes, they were apparently being in, okay. inappropriate on stage. I know. I, I would be like, I you feel like I would do something. should be ashamed of yourself. What do you do need you, help, honey? Are you okay? That would be the first, yeah. Are you okay? I, I guess people are really I would mind their business kind of people. Oh, I'm a until total. Until they got on Twitter. I am a total mind your business person. Yeah. I don't get in people's <sighs> businesses unless there's danger. Right. I mean, we had a situation uh, a year ago with a neighbor situation where I literally walked out front because there was screaming children. Yeah. And I said, uh, excuse me, <laughs> what's going on here? Do you need some help? <laughs> You're beating your kids. <laughs> that that turned out really good. 
It was not a good thing. No, it wasn't. Anyways. Uh, turn it into the inside shit for more. So I uh, guess, <laughs> yeah, right. that's actually, that story isn't in the inside shit. I told the story. Yeah, you did. So evidently I can keep to myself and, and I like being left alone until you're harming somebody and then I'm all up in your shit. Right. That sounds fair. I think that's a good way to go about the world. So by the following Sunday, April 8th, 2003... John had collected uh, quite a large number of bottles, and he decided to exchange them at FM Returnables. Remember at the beginning of the story? Mm-hmm. So he loaded up his old car, pulled Ellen out of the bunker, and they drove to the garbage collection center. Terry Carncross, uh, who was on duty when they got there, just happened to be the wife of Jamie Carncross, who was actually the man who had delivered the concrete to John for his fucking bunker 15 years early, earlier. And they remembered him because he was a creepy, creepy Yeah, fuck. I'm sure. Yeah. So it really is kind of a small world. When John entered the building, Ellen saw her chance and she took it. She told him that she wanted to call the local church to find out what time the service would be. So he let her. He trusted her at this point. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, all kinds of they're in business. She's my business partner. So he let her use the phone, and while he unloaded the bottles in the car, she was able to make her phone call. So he wasn't standing there the whole time. But instead of calling the church, she dialed her sister's number, and it was at this time the police finally reacted against this guy. She was rescued. He was arrested. Quote. I saw the gun barrel right in my head at the window, Jamalski said. And then somebody opened the door, you know, and said, get out of the car, end quote. And then she ran to them. Nice. So this was her secret phone call. John claimed to be surprised that the police were arresting him at all. Ellen had, I mean, his statement was... I got them Arby's, okay? Oh. I mean, I was... You're not far. I'm You are not far from reality. His his excuse was Ellen had lived with him for several months. He said that he met her in Syracuse and she willingly went with him. Quote, is this a problem that I'm so much older than her? Jamalski said to um, the Manalist police officer, Brian Damon, quote... I just like to get this straightened out so I can go home. I hope that he was saying this quote in between the police officers breaking the law. Uh-huh. I'm not for this. And breaking his teeth. Beating the shit out of him. <laughs> like making that statement between punches. Just, you know, is this weird that I oh. like little kids? Like I'm so much older than her. Is that straight? Oh, fur- why are you hitting me? A further quote. I just like to get this straightened out so I can go home. I'd like to be with her tonight if possible. Oh, I want to throw up. God damn we're, the story. We're also planning on going to my 50th high school reunion together, he How- told Officer Damon. Let me finish. Okay. I can't wait, he says. Everyone's going to be like, wow, John, look at you two. That's great. End quote. Okay, now go ahead. Rant. I didn't have a rant. <laughs> I, I forget how old this girl is. Do you, like how, uh, at this point, she's fifteen, I think. No, maybe she's sixteen. Holy shit! Yeah, right. Holy shit! Right. So the officers took Ellen to the police station, and on the way, uh, they actually drove by John's house, and they found it because Ellen recognized it and pointed it out to them. The police, without a warrant, broke into the house. And found the dungeon. Now, 
when I was reading about this, I'm like, shit, don't do that because all that evidence is going to be thrown out of court. But because they had probable cause to believe that there were other women being held there, um, used uh, basically the sound and that they thought that there were other women there. Right. They used playing those stupid fucking tapes that he had. Right. They used that as a form of, I guess like an excuse to break in, whatever, yeah. uh, whatever it takes. One of the officers who broke down the door to John's house happened to be the same officer Schmidt who didn't believe the previous victim. Wow. Most kidnapping victims end up dead. Why are you alive? He says, remember this guy? Yeah. When he got into the bunker, he saw the inscription, Wall of Thugs. His heart sank. Denise, whom he turned away, had been telling the truth all along. Quote, she'd been held there. From the moment I saw it, a chill went through me from my head to my toes, Schmidt later would say. Quote, I knew it was all true. I'm telling you the whole damn nightmare that Denise told me months before from beginning to end flashed before my eyes in a second. A single 40-watt light bulb hung from the ceiling. How could someone stand spending so much time there? There was garbage everywhere. Potato chip bags, a plastic water bottle, old rags. Some of the walls were damaged like they'd been beaten with a hammer and they were stained. Probably from Denise's fists. Blood, yeah. The police searched the entire house. On a bookshelf in the hallway. This is heart-wrenching. In the hallway leading to the master bedroom, an officer found an empty sugar box containing a small piece of paper that read, My name is Amy. Help me. I've been kidnapped. Jamalski had filmed his victims and their pleas for help. In these videos, they would turn to his imaginary bosses in the police force, begging them for mercy to release them from the dungeon. In some of the recordings, he danced with them he played sports with one of the girls there were about 50 films in all many many diaries and boxes of photographs that were seized as evidence the windows of the basement were the entrance to the bunker and they were covered with bars there were locks and bolts on every single door of the house including the closets everything was evidence the police found among other things a box of envelopes that you know you would use for letters it was assumed that jamalski actually sent photographs of his captives around the world but the police didn't find any addresses no address books or anything like that forensic experts also found lists of other missing girls however it's not known why they were of interest to him because he knows other pieces of shit too right there's a lot to this story uh that uh, it, it's left to the imagination and there's a lot of assumption that he goes into it but goddamn there's got to be more to this yeah. but nothing's ever been said nothing ever came out so when the case went to trial district attorney william fitzpatrick told the defense team that he'd seek the maximum sentence of 25 years to life in prison now the only problem was none of the girls wanted to testify I mean, I don't blame them. I don't either. They didn't want to relive the horrifying event in court. They Probably just don't want wanted to, be anywhere to about right miles of them. Well, they're going to have to face their acu- They're going to have to face their who they're accusing, basically their yeah. torturer. So they just wanted to move past this terrible chapter in their lives. So their names in court were actually changed, and the photos and videos were not released except for privately, um, and they were never released to the public until way later. 
So to resolve this issue, uh, Onondaga County Judge Anthony Alloy proposed the parties come to an agreement, right? John would get 18 to life with the possibility of parole under the condition that he sold all of his assets and every bit of the proceeds went to the girls. So John and his lawyers agreed to this. Weirdly, John had expected to see Ellen at the trial. Later, he'd say that he scanned the crowd for her, hoping that she would appear in court to say goodbye. I mean, she didn't even say goodbye. I have a different hypothesis for him. God damn. Uh, for his punishment. <laughs> Instead of 18 with a chance of parole, 18 to life with a chance of parole, we put him into a cannon, uh-huh. a powerful cannon, shoot it at the sun. <laughs> And just make sure that it gets, you know, somewhere Ah, near the sun. Okay. Probably into the sun. So this is where it gets a little more frustrating. Mm. Now, his his justification for these kidnappings. Now, these are, I I hate even saying this stuff. It's terrible. But these are quotes that I pulled from interviews. Okay. So he justified the kidnappings by saying that I'm a man. Uh, He has to have sex with someone. And when his wife, Dorothy, could no longer satisfy him after she got sick, he went out and found girlfriends. Okay. Now, it'll never be known if Dorothy knew about what was happening on their property. According to reports, she didn't get out of bed at all the last seven years of her life. So John had all the opportunity to do whatever he wanted. Now, as Judge Alloy read out the details of each of the five, kid, five kidnappings, John, he simply stood there and answered affirmatively when asked how he pled, formally admitting his guilt. Later in an interview, though, he would say that he paid the girls for sex, but that wasn't true. It was also strange that he didn't show the anger or the rage commonly found in this kind of criminal. He was very docile. Hmm. When they asked why he never feared being caught um, when he took the girls on trips or to restaurants, he, he kind of reacted with, with surprise. He's like, caught for what? What nice. I do wrong? Oh, come on. Come he on. continued to minimize his crimes, even when confronted with all the damning evidence. Quote, I'm not the monster they're painting this horrid picture of, he told MSNBC during an interview from the city jail. Quote, I'm a pretty nice guy. And I never hurt anyone physically. I brought them Arby's. I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'm going to get some community service or something of that nature for, (laughs) you know. a cannon to the sun. Something of that nature for, you know, this is a direct quote, a little bit of unlawful imprisonment or something. But prison? Never. He admitted unlawful imprisonment. What a dumb. Uh, Okay. In the same interview, he said that the girls were exaggerating the conditions of the bunker. Quote, it wasn't that bad. I wouldn't mind living down there in that dungeon. It was absolutely beautiful. It wasn't a bad. There was there was water, anything they wanted, except for leaving at a certain time. <laughs> End quote. Wow. So on the morning of July 16th, 2003, a verdict was announced. Amy, John's first victim, had prepared a statement read by her lawyer describing how she had suffered for many years from surviving that nightmare. And she gets to light the cannon. Sorry. Your sentencing of the defendant today is expected to be a therapeutic benefit to my client, he said. 
The victim and her family have a natural desire to see the defendant sentenced to the foulest dungeon in creation for all eternity. Mm-hmm. He told the court that Amy's family agreed to the prosecution's plea agreement, but they understand the defendant's right to fairness and humane treatment, even though he himself does not understand those principles. No. He thought he was making Shangri-La down in right? a fucking hole. Celeste, who'd been in prison for nine months, told the courts that she suffered every second she spent in that bunker. Denise, who had been in the bunker for two months, also prepared a statement that was read out loud in court. She said that all this time she lived in fear. She was afraid of the dark. She was afraid of older men. Uh, she also had horrible dreams at night. She cried out. Uh, she would jump in her sleep. She's lost a job and several fe- uh, friends due to his actions and, and what he had done. John Jamalski is a sick, this is a quote here, John Jamalski is a sick and evil old man and should be punished. He has no right to take away my freedom, my right to breathe air, or my right to be treated like a human being, end quote. Amen. Ellen's statement was read by her sister. She wrote that she hated her captor and lived in fear every day that she was kept in his dungeon. The nightmares I have remembering how I had to fulfill your sick fantasies, making disgusting videos, being humiliated, mm. never having any privacy, being chained to a f- to being chained like a dog to a fence. The only thing that got me through this horrendous nightmare was my strong faith in God, mm. praying every day that he would help me go home. You're the sickest man I have ever known. End quote. When all the statements had been read aloud, Judge Alloy ordered John to stand. Quote, you're a sick coward. You're an evil man. You're a kidnapper and a rapist. A master manipulator of people in the truth. But, you reign, but your reign of terror is over. End quote. The judge sentenced him to 18 years to life in a state prison. Quote, Mr. Jamalski, there is no question in my mind you should die in prison for what you've done to these five women. End quote. John was asked if he had anything to say. He cleared his throat and spoke in a trembling voice. Quote, I'm just truly sorry for what I did. I've had a lot of time to think about it, and I'm just very sorry for what I did and for how it affected everyone. And God bless you all. But no one was moved by his statement. Into None. Into the cannon, Into, cunt. Exactly. So John's house was sold in 2005 for $100,000. Throw that into the cannon, too. I don't give a fuck. The dudgeon was dug up and destroyed. His collection of over 13,000 bottles was sold online in 2003 for just $500. <laughs> it was bought by a collector from Pennsylvania who considered it a good deal. Throw John, that into the cannon. John shares, uh, John's shares and his other investments were liquidated. All of his property in New Mexico, Florida, and California were also sold, and the proceeds were equally divided amongst all of his victims. The exact amount paid to the victims was not disclosed. Yeah, it's nobody's business. John's being housed at Clinton Correctional Facility, however... It's not enough. Well, he also has the right to parole. 
Okay. And his first hearing took place in, in 2020. Parole right into a cannon that shoots him into the sun. Am I right? <laughs> 2020 oh, was he... his first parole hearing. Oh, fuck. Right. He's 85 years Updates. old. Updates. So to earn some sympathy, John asked his lawyers to know uh, that he, he wanted them to know that he often allowed the girls to take bubble baths. Now this, according the, this, according to him, meant he should be released, even though his victims had a bucket for a fucking toilet and their water was dumped on the bathroom floor, causing them to inhale mold spores. Right. Two of the girls are still suffering from respiratory problems. Yeah, mold doesn't go away. So Jamalski also boasted that he bought one of the girls' food from McDonald's and Burger King. It was Arby's, goddammit. When she asked for it. So... Uh, and also, allegedly, he gave her $200 when he took her home. He just gave her $200. So what he should be set kind, free. Sweet. <laughs> so this is not, a, obviously, not enough to secure his release. His next hearing is scheduled for December of this year. It'll hmm. be interesting what comes up with, what they come up with for that. Yeah. So in prison, Jamalski gladly gave out interviews. I mean, he just talked to everyone. He considered himself a completely normal person. He went on to say that he didn't know it was wrong to keep girls in a bunker. <laughs> However, according to the latest news, it seems he's finally beginning to understand that he committed a crime. At any rate, it's blatantly obvious at this point that if the last victim, Ellen, if she had actually just called the police after she made it home, Jamalski's case would have remained unsolved. The police would certainly not have believed her. Mm-hmm. Ellen knew that if she called her sister, though, <laughs> she would come to the rescue. And that's exactly what happened. It's also interesting that we still don't know the exact number of victims. Right. Now, yeah, the evidence, more. the evidence they pulled shows that there were many more. Fuck. So. Well, he had, he had pictures <clears throat> of a lot of these people. Well, yeah, he did. Um, and I don't know. It's all suppressed. It's all closed up. The case is done. I, I don't know. Imagine having to go through that <clears throat> shit. Right. If you're in law enforcement. Well, imagine imagine being the, the police f- officer that made that flippant, stupid statement. You're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life. When you said exactly, that's what I thought when quote like, he, kidnapping victims are usually dead. Why are you still alive? Yeah. God he, damn! Can you he's imagine? A, if he's a conscious person with a conscience, mm-hmm. that, that crushed him. I bet. I bet he it, did. There's nothing anybody it, it can did. say to him that hurt him more than what he realized. What he exactly yeah. what he did. He hurt himself. Yeah. Um, if he was you, part of something that should never have happened, and that's right. like holy fuck. Well, if you were to, uh, if you just go uh, list for you listeners, look up John Jamalski, um, and if you are interested in seeing the interviews, there's a lot of them out there. There's <laughs> interviews of John. He's a fucking ugh. He's a nut. And then the police officers, um, there's interviews with them. And in fact, Denise is also interviewed later. Hmm. She's uh, in her, let's see, how old is she in these interviews? I think these interviews were like early 2000s, maybe mid 2000s. She's still suffering uh, damage, emotional damage from this. But she has done interviews. Yeah. So anyways. Fucking, That's I'm looking at him right now. What a fucking piece awful of garbage. Awful. Yeah. You can see it in his dumb little eyes. So that's my story. Fuck, wife. Man, I don't know if there was any way to prepare people for this. No, I know. I tried Let's in not, the very I'm, first sentence. We don't need to go. We don't need a musical thing. Let's no. just keep talking. Uh, 
holy shit right so you've been in last week we did a hey where you at with true crime i know and i was in the middle of this research i was in the middle of writing this script last week when we did the interview this is one of the yeah the heavier ones i've ever it heard is in my life and i'm sure that you could hear the frustration mm-hmm. and and indignance in my voice in my reading of the script my anger and irritation poured into this script yeah. <laughs> and um i found this one so um i, I don't want to say easy to read i'm talking about physically because this the story had me so infuriated that oh, it's yeah. pretty much all i've thought about so it just rolled yeah you know um the guy is still in prison i hope he never gets paroled december you better you better bet your ass that I'm going to be keeping an eye on this in December. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to be looking it up because I hope they don't release him. Updates. <clears throat> I hope they don't the release him. fucking sun. Not like he can do much at this point. He's going to be released to nothing. I mean, he doesn't have a home. They right. sold everything. If he's released from prison, he doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have a mother. He has children. And, uh, you know, he's got three boys. <clears throat> So he would have to, I guess, live with them. I don't know. I, I don't know. They'd be super excited about that. But I couldn't I imagine a, I what these women would feel knowing that their attacker was released. No. Uh. Uh-uh. You that, know what I mean? That they're so be. well. They're so young. Most of them are so young that, and he's so much older. This all happened that at any point that he gets parole, they will still be here. Yeah. They'll still be alive. Um, it's just that awful. shouldn't be. There should never be. be a no. chance on the earth that they ever cross each other's path no. in a supermarket or something. It's awful. Ever. Because this dipshit will walk up to him and say, "Hey, it's been a while." Oh yeah, remember the Arby's? Yeah, remember <sighs> that. So remember the bubble bath that the the non bubble bath that you got in the tub that dumped on the floor? Yeah. So Fuck. my my solution for this kind of situation, if somebody does get paroled, mm-hmm. is that you let them out. And they're free mm-hmm. to do whatever they want. Right. But you let them out in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> Without a life jacket. They can have a life jacket. <laughs> they can have a little raft. Oh. Fucking in the middle of the are Pacific you, Ocean. Yeah, but are you giving them an oar? Or a rudder? No. Or a sail? No, they can have you, the... I like the life jacket. You, I think you, that's a pretty good little buoy them. for a fucking shark <laughs> snack. A little shark poop. Pre-shark poop buoy. Are you, uh, are you giving them some luck? Oh, that's... How about lip balm? I don't know. You want to ask what the shark wants to taste like the most. Like, what's the tastiest thing you can put on a human shark? You're like, damn it, here's a boat and no lip balm for you. (laughs) I think we should. But then, I mean, we let them out. They're free. They can fucking go up, down, left, Mm -hmm. right. They can go. They are. North, south, east, west. Right. You know, I never thought of that. Fucking. But, you know, they're they got a long way to go. Mm -hmm. They got to kind of earn it. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, uh, you know, in the Bay Area with, with uh, Alcatraz, right. where it's like, well, it's, it's pretty far to swim, and it's no. cold, and there might be some shit there. No. You probably won't live. This is like, you're literally you're like have out to swim in the. So months. release him out just off the coast of Maine, like about 30 miles off the coast of in Maine. In the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah. That's even worse. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be in the. No, I don't know. <sighs> I like, I kind of like the, you know, find. It's like Point Nemo, I think, is what it's called. Is it? Yeah, it's the most... It's, it's south? It's furthest away in the Pacific Ocean mm-hmm. from any other land mass. Okay. And you just start there. You just drop folks with helicopters and be like, you got a shot. 
I, I hope you work out. Are you out. putting them on land or are you putting them in the water? No, that's just all water. Oh. It's like, <laughs> I think the Pacific Ocean is like half of the planet. It's like, and it's all water. Okay. Some stupid number that I pulled out of my shovel cocked ass. Okay. But, uh, yeah. That sounds good to me. I don't know. I'm going a little I'm hard down. into this. Everybody's like, no. I'm down. No. Okay. I I'm like, down. It's two for two. God damn, I did the research on this. I didn't live it. I didn't go through it. I didn't uh, experience it. I just, all I did was read after the fact. Fuck. Well, it's so infuriating. I, I want to lighten it up a little bit because okay. part of this, besides all of the things that were awful that we all recognize were awful, mm-hmm. there's a movie called Saving Silverman that came out, I want to say... Saving Silverman? Mm-hmm. Came Not out. Sarah Silverman. Correct. Uh, Saving Silverman. Saving Silverman. Okay. It's, it's a bit of a... Uh, you know, I don't know how many people knew about it, but it's kind of uh, somebody's like doing a cartwheel right now. Because <laughs> they they <laughs> know like, about it real well. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. a Jack Black movie. Jack Black's in it. And okay. uh, man, I'm gonna forget all the names because I'm not. Good. I think Timothy Zahn. I'm I'm thinking about the fucking what the author from Star Wars. I mix up names. Uh, he was he was like a, a famous guy. At the <laughs> Word time. bad today. Yeah. But this was a. Uh, it's a very funny movie. Okay. It's a silly premise, uh-huh. but it has a sim. And that's why I was saying Arby's all the time. I wanted to say I want Arby's Big Montana the whole time. I've been wanting to say, you know, know "Give me a Big Montana." Means. It's from that movie, and it used okay. to be a sandwich that they had. A Big Montana. Basically, this guy is in love with a girl mm-hmm. who's bad for him. I'm gonna fuck this up too, but uh, and she she's terrible for him. And okay, so friends, buckle up, listeners. No, right. For those that are familiar with the movie, just you know, take a deep breath. I won't, It'll, it's gonna be fine. Well, it's all about a kidnapping. <laughs> It's all about a kidnapping, and, and basically his friends, the, the friends of the guy that was in American Pie, the main guy, I can't remember anybody's names, mm. the guy that stuck his dick in a pie. Okay. Anyway, I believe that's him. He is being saved by okay. his friends, Jack Black included, and a couple other people. Okay. And they kidnap his girlfriend, Amanda Pete, I believe is her name. Okay. And she's a, she's a jerk. Oh. And I was in a girlfriend. I had a girlfriend that kind of like her at the time. So I, my friends like were like, watch this fucking movie. Oh. Uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and... She was a jerk and they kidnapped her so that and pretended that she died so that he would move on and find some other girl and okay. get happy and so stuff. So they kidnapped her and then like faked her death. Faked her death kind of thing. But in the meantime, there's this, this interaction like he's Jack Black goes in there wearing like a fucking, you know, mascot outfit like a bird. Okay. <laughs> and he's giving her, you know, and she's like, I want a, I want a big Montana and I want curly fries. And da, da, da. It became kind of funny. Mm. So and it is a it's a quirky, weird movie. There's a. A whole bunch of there's an obsession with uh, Neil Diamond in it. Oh, that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> but it made me think of it this whole time, even okay. though it's very dark and evil. But this is, uh, yeah, Big Montana Arby's. So okay, somebody else is out there going yes. Okay, I hope <laughs> you're my you're my people. We I watched that movie with a couple of my friends on repeat, like a bunch of times. I don't know why. It was because of that okay. per- that period in my life because of the woman and also because a bunch of stoners because of the woman. Because and the, and weed, yes. Okay, because I could kind of relate. My friends were like, "We might kidnap your girlfriend and save you," but it wasn't that. Right. They, they just they just fucking threatened it. But anyway, that's the show. I think. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing the research. Oh, yeah. I can't believe you. I mean, you need to wipe that off. We need some yeah. UFOs or Blow some that fucking. Away. We need some more of those cool it's stories. Mom's birthday week. <laughs> yeah. Blow that away yeah. in honor of Nancy. There you go. Oh yeah, my mom. It's like a birthday. Yeah. It was a couple it was days, a few ago. days ago. Yeah. Thank you for listening, you guys. We appreciate you here at the Dipshit Files and at Scatcast. Mm -hmm. We we love doing this every day. Yeah. Uh, It's been a blast. We've been doing it for over a year. 
and we're on season two with this show and mm-hmm. we're almost on season two with all our shows basically right. just about so uh, we're gonna keep doing it thank you guys everyone at patreon you guys are fueling our ability to do this mm-hmm. it means so much even a dollar a month we all do cartwheels here yeah uh, it really literally does. <laughs> yeah i mean we're gonna set up another thing because we get letters from you guys or letters we get uh we're smoke signals in actually the, <laughs> and and uh but we're gonna try and make it a couple the of pony ways. express pulls up <laughs> that's right you could hear the hooves clacking <laughs> Wait, I got on hoof. the cobblestones. <laughs> Wait. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Yep, see? Here comes the Pony Express with the listeners' letters. God damn it, Dick. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to make, we're going to do something else to make it so the people that don't want to sign up on Patreon that do want to support the show, mm-hmm. uh, we've got another thing in mind for you guys. Right. Because we get those messages all the time. Right. And uh, so what we're thinking I would about. like to address them. I mean, instead of being like, you know, radio silence. Just Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. I know. A lot know. of people don't like that company, though. Uh, yeah. And I a lot of people don't like know. having their, you know, they want to do something else. And they, right. we hear you. And there's been some good ideas, too, uh, mm-hmm. from you guys. There's all sorts of great podcasting, such a, a Wild West kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, thank you guys for listening. Thank you to everyone that helps us. Thank you to our trusted turd triad yes. of Don and Chris and Bodie. Uh-huh. Thank you to PJ and Minnie. Thank you. And thank, thank you to all ladies. of our admins, all mm-hmm. of our team of Internet folk. Uh, infoscatcast.com you guys keep sending those things in to let us know what you like think of the show and all of your ideas yeah and as always we'll talk at you in the future and it'll seem like the present bye bye Bing bong bing 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 b